thought it was me. Good morning, Crosswalk. How are we doing? You out there? You awake? All right. How about a uh, Super Bowl? Survived. Yeah. Commercials. Good job, Rihanna. Lots of memes. Um, but I was right. Let me just say that we had a little trivia game at our first annual Super Bowl party, and one of the questions for that trivia game was, was Rihanna at any point during her program going to be lifted from the ground by wires? She started out lifted off the ground. I'm just, sometimes, sometimes I know what I'm talking about. Uh, so anyway, hey, welcome to our new series called In Uncomfortable. I am looking forward to this series and where it pushes us. It's a series that's going to cause us to stare our discomfort in the face and hopefully recognize that not all discomfort is a bad thing. In fact, discomfort can push us into areas that will make us into better people uh, for as a community and as individuals for the good of others. We all know what it's like to be uncomfortable on some level. Maybe we showed up to something overdressed or we showed up underdressed or we showed up and or maybe we walked into class late and everyone stopped to notice. Uh, maybe we got up and we gave a presentation only to find out afterwards that our zipper was down or we missed a button or there was a stain on our shirt. One of my heroes in this life was my history teacher from high school whose name was Mr. Dull. D-U-L-L. That was his name. He was one of my heroes, but not for one of the reasons that you would expect. His dad was actually a pastor who, and some of you might have heard this and thought it was a myth, but it is true. He, his dad pastored the boring Adventist church. So Pastor Dull pastored the boring Adventist church. You couldn't get people to go to that church. All right? But Mr. Dahl and I shared a common problem, and that was a problem of getting up in front more than once with our zipper down. It was a common problem, but most people are embarrassed by this. They turn in shame, but not Mr. Dahl. I remember a class period in particular where he was up front, and he was teaching, and, and his zipper was down. He actually he did one of these things, and, and, you know, while he was talking, that wasn't helpful. Um, and, and when it finally got to a point to where he could no longer ignore the laughter in the room, the snickering and whatever, he finally asked, he's like, what's so funny? And some brave classmate said, well, your zipper's down. And Mr. Dahl, instead of his face turning red and turning to face the back wall and everything, he just goes like this. He's like, oh, huh. zips up, goes on, doesn't miss a beat. He was my hero. He was amazing. He didn't let that moment mess up his whole day. But being uncomfortable, disturbingly uncomfortable, is more than just about appearances, right? You ever been to a church where they had you turn and greet your neighbor, okay? This is something that all extroverts love and all introverts hate. Actually, I shouldn't say all extroverts love it because there's a study that says 89% of people, whether extroverts or introverts, actually don't go back to a church that does public greeting like that. What about watching something that makes you uncomfortable? Maybe a musical performance where the lead vocalist was out of tune or maybe a hot topic discussed without sensitivity to the people in the room and whether or not that topic was appropriate. Maybe you've imagined yourself as Michael Scott in the office where your life is dedicated to making people uncomfortable. You just lack the self-awareness to know it. 
In my previous life, I was responsible for hosting a lot of guest speakers in the course of a year. And I had the privilege of, on more than one occasion, hosting Dr. Tony Campolo. Some of you may know Dr. Campolo, um, but he is someone who has authored books. He has spoken around the world. He has been an agent for social change, social justice. He's uh, an incredible guy and fun to listen to. But he loves to push the envelope, and he loves to make you uncomfortable if it'll help you kind of change your thinking and your approach to life. And Sometimes uh, it goes a little, a little farther than, oh, that's what uncomfortable is. It goes a little farther than what you're okay with. One particular visit, he was uh, on the campus of Walla Walla University where I was working. He had spoken four times already. He's 75 years old at the time. And he got up for one last talk. And the last talk he gave was at the second service at the university church, which was what many called high church. This was the church that more, more of the traditional members went to. It had the organ and the choir. Everybody was dressed to the nines. Everything had to be just perfect. And so I get up, I introduce Dr. Campolo, and then I go and sit down. At the time, you're sitting on the stage facing the congregation. And so I sit down next to him on the stage facing the congregation. Dr. Campolo comes up to the microphone, and he says, he says, oh, man. First thing out of his mouth, full church. He says, you know you're getting old when your wife asks you to come upstairs and have sex and you say, honey, I can't do both. <laughs> Some of you have to let that sink in for a second. <laughs> and from where, of course, I'm looking out at the audience at the time and I see three responses. One response is people that were laughing, thought it was hilarious. The other response was people that wanted to laugh but weren't sure if that was okay in church. And then there were people that were just outright mad that, that something like that was said. However, from where I was sitting, there was this elderly couple sitting close to the front. The husband's arms were folded, his eyebrows were furrowed, his face was turning red. He was mad. His wife sitting next to him was shaking so hard from laughter that she could barely control it. And I thought, well, that one hit a little too close to home. I wanted so bad to be invited to their house for Sabbath lunch <laughs> just to listen to the conversation. I didn't get that invitation. That's okay. There are all sorts of scenarios in our lives where we have been uncomfortable. Some of us have been a in a room full of people who clearly believe differently than us or who look differently than us or who uh, speak different languages than us, who have different lives and make different choices than us, and it makes us uncomfortable. And our typical response to discomfort is to pull away from it. We seek comfort and typically run from negative feelings. We want our comfort food. We watch our comfort shows. And sometimes we self-medicate in unhealthy ways in order to numb ourselves to the discomfort in the world around us. Dr. Maria Lamia, in a 2015 article published in Psychologically, uh, Psychology Today, writes, our culture has erroneously taught us that we should find ways to get rid of negative feelings rather than truly experience them. We see this in our culture's attempt to run and hide from anything that may offend us. That's a big thing, right? And now I'm not saying to go out there and purposefully be offensive and not think about and be empathetic towards people's stories and situations. But I am saying that when we seek to live in ideological vacuums with people that dress like us, believe like us, look like us, we are in danger of becoming something less than the beautifully diverse people that God created us to be. 
And even more troublesome today is that we too often mistake a person's, dif- a person's difference of opinion as something offensive. I'll tell you something else that makes me uncomfortable right now, and it's artificial intelligence and how much our technology is listening to us. I was at, uh, in a room full of teenagers a few months ago, and they were making jokes and, and doing impersonations of actor Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. And, uh, and, and the, they, they said his name multiple times throughout the conversation. The next morning, I woke up to an article from Redbox, the video center, that said, hey, uh, enjoy discounts on all Matthew McConaughey movies. That's just spooky to me. But it happened to me last weekend as well. I was sharing to several, with several people about this new series, Uncomfortable, and of course I said the word uncomfortable a lot, and later that night I had a news article that po- popped up that said, what makes us uncomfortable? And so I read that article, and it was fascinating because it was actually about how the successful formula in reality television right now is to make you as uncomfortable as possible. And it actually referenced a show where older moms are competing to date their sons. So other than that being awful, I find it funny that we're okay with some level of discomfort as long as we can control it from the comforts of our living rooms and couches. But we do this in Christianity too. We water down the gospel to make it seem more appealing and more doable, easier to swallow. And when we water down the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. You can't take bits and pieces. You have to take the teaching as a whole. You can't highlight an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth without also highlighting what comes next. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. As Timothy Keller says, if your God never disagrees with you, you might be worshiping an idolized version of yourself. In our series guide, Pastor Tim shared one of, another one of my favorites from C.S. Lewis, where it says, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. The teachings of Jesus are not all comfortable teachings. They're often full of paradoxes, like those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. These are not easy teachings. But as we often say here at Crosswalk, is Jesus never promised us easy. He just promised he'd be with us every step of the way. And his teachings aren't always there just to make us feel better about ourselves. They're meant to help us see God more clearly and become better versions of ourselves. To break us free from the values of this world and usher us into living into the kingdom of God here on earth as in heaven. To become the people he created us to be. English poet W.H. Auden had an interesting response to the paradoxical and unconventional teachings of Jesus. He said that instead of pushing him away, even though Jesus' teachings causes him much discomfort, they actually invigorate his belief in Jesus. In his own words, he says, I believe because Jesus fulfills none of my dreams, because he is in every respect the opposite of what he would be if I could have made him in my own image. 
Author David Dark, reflecting on Auden's words, says, the mere thought of Jesus left Auden feeling unhinged, or rather, more in touch with the habitual unhingedness exposed and scandalized by an encounter with the man of sorrows, the prince of peace, the one in whom Auden believed the fullness of the deity was pleased to dwell. But to many of us, today, uh, today and in Jesus' times, his teachings are too high a call, too much to accept, with too much to risk or let go of. We know the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19, a man who wanted to know what it meant to inherit eternal life. And Jesus started off by saying, well, you follow the commandments. And he listened through the commandments, but then he was like, well, I've done all those. But Jesus, knowing his heart and knowing his struggle, turned to him and said, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. This was more than the man bargained for. Matthew tells us how he responded. He says, but when the young man heard this, he went away sad, for he had many possessions. The religious leaders pushed back on Jesus' teachings, ultimately because if Jesus' teachings were true, it would rob them of the religious and political safety net that they had and their precious titles of importance. But even those who followed Jesus struggled with much of what he had to say. In one instance, a whole crowd of Jesus' followers left him because his teaching was too difficult, too uncomfortable, and too hard to understand. John tells us many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Sure, this was hard for Jesus. That wasn't his goal. He didn't want to lose any of them, but he wasn't there to win a popularity contest. He was there to save them. He was there to change their lives and show them an even better picture of who God was. And to do so, he had to break through all of our preconceived ideas and notions and wants in order to give us the picture of God we all need. In this story, Jesus turns to his disciples and he even offers them a way out. He says, Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Notice it doesn't say that they understood what he was saying or accepted it or believed it. It just said that they were going to stick with Jesus because of their conviction of who he is. They were willing to lean into the discomfort. But even that had its limits, didn't it? Because on the night of his arrest, trial, and crucifixion, all of them would desert him. His closest confidence, the ones he poured the most of himself into over three and a half years, went running because they didn't get it, not yet. They still were hoping for a Messiah that would restore to them what they felt was rightly theirs, their rights and their privileges. But when the disciples did finally get it, when they finally realized who Jesus was and what he had done for them and how his teachings were ultimately making them into the best versions of themselves, they would all, save one, go to gruesome deaths for Jesus and his kingdom. David Dark says it well in a book I'm enjoying, The Sacredness of Questioning Everything. He says, if the words of Jesus of Nazareth, for instance, strike us as comfortable and perfectly in tune with our own confident common sense, 
our likes and dislikes, our budgets, and our actions towards strangers and foreigners, then receiving the words of Jesus is probably not what we're doing. If Jesus' words don't scandalize or bother us, challenging our already made-up minds, we aren't really receiving them. So if every sermon we give here at Crosswalk just makes you feel better about yourself, then we're not doing our job. If every visit to church only serves to make you feel a little better about yourself until your next visit, then we may not be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because sooner or later, this gospel is going to challenge us to our core. Sooner or later, this gospel is going to make us uncomfortable. Sooner or later, we are going to have to die to ourselves, our former way of life, and lean in to the new life that God is calling us into. And one may ask, well, why does Jesus push us into discomfort? Well, first of all, we have to remember that the lives we're living now, the world that we live in now, is not the world God wanted for us. That world ended the second we doubted in who God is in the Garden of Eden. This is a point I often make at funerals to people, especially when someone comes up to someone who has lost a loved one and says something to the effect of, well, it was all part of God's plan, right? God knew what he was doing. It was God's will that this person died. Rest assured, my friends, this is not God's plan. This world is not what God intended for us. God is working desperately hard to get us back to that world. But until then, we live in a place that is broken, a place that hurts each other, a place that is marring the image of God at every step. And God is working to get us back to his world. But we have to be reminded on a regular basis that we are not the center of the universe. God told us that in his work with the Israelites who had just been rescued from Egypt. He knew the people had suffered for 400 years under oppression and incredible discomfort. He knew they were seeking him out and so very grateful when he delivered them, but he also knew how fickle we are as human beings and how quickly we forget. I want to read to you from the message paraphrase scripture uh, from the book of Deuteronomy, which I think does a great job at showing this contrast in language we can grasp hold of a little better today. Before they entered the promised land, Moses, led by God, said, so it's paramount that you keep the commandments of God, your God, walk down the roads he shows you, and reverently respect him. God is about to bring you into a good land, a land with brooks and rivers, springs and lakes, streams out of the hills and through the valleys. It's a land of wheat and barley, of vines and figs and pomegranates, of olives and oil and honey. It's land where you'll never go hungry, always food on the table and a roof over your head. It's a land where you'll get iron out of rocks and mine copper from the hills. After a meal, satisfied, bless God, your God, for the good land he has given you. God had heard their cries. He had rescued them from oppression. He was fulfilling the desires of their hearts. But because of their fallen human state and the world we lived in, he followed that up with a warning. And the warning said this, make sure you don't forget God, your God, by not keeping his commandments, his rules and regulations that I command you today. Make sure that when you eat and are satisfied, build pleasant houses and settle in. See your herds and flocks flourish and more and more money come in. Watch your standard of living going up and up. Make sure you don't become so full of yourself and your things that you forget God. 
your God, the God who delivered you from Egyptian slavery, the God who led you through the, that huge and fearsome wilderness, if you start thinking to yourselves, I did all this and all by myself, I'm rich, it's all mine, well, think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all this wealth so as to confirm the covenant that he promised to your ancestors, as it is today. If you forget, forget God, your God, and start taking up with other gods, serving and worshiping them, I'm on record right now as giving you firm warning that will be the end of you. So don't forget your God. When life is good, when you have all that you've ever wanted and dreamed of, don't forget the one who has been with you every step of the way in the valleys and on the mountaintops. God challenges, challenges us for our own good. He leads us into places of discomfort at times in order to help us grow. And growth is never easy. Growth is always uncomfortable. I was marked by this well when I transitioned from, great, from junior high to high school because I started off high school at five foot seven as a freshman. A year later as a sophomore, I started my sophomore year out as six foot four. If you do the math, that's nine inches in one year. Six of those inches I did in six months. It was incredibly uncomfortable. There were times I woke up at night feeling as if my bones were growing outside of my body. Um, and uh, I, I remember I would sleep for 12 hours at a time. I would eat everything in sight. In a way, it was the best of times. But it was also the worst of times. And, and I, I remember, like, obviously, <laughs> there's a lot of different challenges, right? It's also your brain has to catch up with what your body's doing. And so I was incredibly uncoordinated during this time. I hit my head on all sorts of things, which obviously explains a lot. Um, and, and then clothes, I mean, my clothes were more like the Hulk trying to get into Bruce Banner's wardrobe is what it looked like. The only thing that really saved me in the first part of high school was that at the time, MC Hammer pants were big. And some of you don't know what that is. But it mainly means that they were pants made of elastic, so they stretched. And that helped me in this time of, of growth. Um, but I looked and looked for a particular picture I was going to show you this week, because if this is about uncomfortable, then I need to make myself uncomfortable. I couldn't find the picture that I really wanted to find. Um, to, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the scenario, and then I'm going to show you the picture. So don't, don't show it just yet. Um, but my eighth grade year for graduation, my mom had gotten me a suit. It was a suit that was double-breasted. It fit just perfect. And this was a time in my life when I really enjoyed dressing up and putting on ties and suits. That time is gone. That person's dead. Now, I, was, I did a wedding last September. I think I was telling some of you this. And, and there was a, a part of me that even I got to tying my tie, and I was like, wait. I, yeah, over and then to, okay, yeah, all right. So that's good. I like that I'm starting to forget how to tie a tie. Um, but this was a time when I really liked it. So I had this suit, and it fit just perfect. And then a year late, well, 10 months later, I was asked to the banquet. I, as a freshman, was asked to the banquet by a junior. Go ahead. I know, I know. See, at one point in my life, I had game, apparently. <laughs> And so the thing was, is that I picked out of my closet the nicest thing I had, which was that same suit that I wore at my eighth grade graduation. <sighs> so let's show them the picture. Yep, that is me, not on the right with the mustache, I'm the other one. 
Um, so proof that yes, I had hair at one point. Um, and proof that yes, it, it, there is a mullet happening there. I apologize for that, even though it's back in. Not really, it's not really in. I know some people are sporting it, it's not, it's not in. Um, but that was the suit. The problem was, you can see in that picture that the suit goes all the way down to my shoes. I went to the banquet 10 months later wearing this suit. Two weeks after the banquet, I got the banquet pictures back and the bottom of those pants are six inches away from the shoes. So it was like this. And my mom let me out of the house wearing this suit. What in the world was she thinking? But that's what it means to be uncomfortable. Growing is uncomfortable. And God is invested in our growth, both as individuals and as a community. And this gospel we are trying to follow is not easy. It will challenge us, push us, and hopefully change us into better versions of ourselves. And that's what love does, doesn't it? Love helps us want to present to others the best versions of ourselves we can possibly present. So if you're a little uncomfortable this morning at the teachings of Jesus, a little uncomfortable at where maybe this series may push us, don't worry, you're in good company. For if you're feeling uncomfort, we can take comfort in knowing that we might just be on the right track and that track is known as the way of Jesus. So let us together embrace the discomfort. Pray with me. Gracious and loving Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us so much, that you're willing to push us into places that make us uncomfortable, that challenge our way of thinking, that force us to spend time working on ourselves, to love well, to care for others, and to be willing to go outside of ourselves to be there for someone else. Thank you for loving us that much. This love that we talk about is not easy. It pushes us into these places for our growth. And so help us to hold tightly to you even when we don't understand, even when we're not sure where you're leading us, even when it's uncomfortable. And help us continue each day to become the people you see when you look at us. We love you so much, Jesus. Guide us in this series and help us become even better versions of ourselves for your kingdom and for your glory. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Please stand with us as we continue in worship.